one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is how you can make the most of this summer season. In fact, as the days get longer, right, it stays light later, and I've done this little check at every service so far. Isn't it awesome? Can you just raise your hand if you love how late it stays sunny out at nighttime? Okay, with the hands up, parents of young children, can we boo them together? One, two, three, boo, because the kids, dude, my four-year-old won't go to bed. Like, it's six o'clock. He needs to, he's getting tired already. He's not sleeping until 1030, just the way it's going to work for the summer. Uh, you know, as we head into the summer season, many of you have spent a lot of time probably at the local ballpark or little league playing some baseball games. I love baseball. I grew up uh, playing Little League Baseball. I played shortstop. I'll never forget when I made the all-star team my third grade year. I thought I was the coolest thing ever. It was the last year I ever played baseball until high school. And I'll tell you why just in, se- in a second. I no longer play baseball, and my children will never play baseball. Uh, but I loved to grow up as a kid, man. You got the soda and the, the candy in between games, but then like most of the time you're out there in the sun enjoying it and you're yelling things. And at the end of the game, there's this little a tradition that happens when it's time to get serious. You put the sunflower seeds down in the dugout. You start getting up to that fence. All of a sudden you're starting to you take your hat. You turn it inside out. The only time you ever do this in our culture anywhere You put it on your head, you get your rally cap on, and you start chanting things at people that you wouldn't normally say. We want a pitcher, not a belly itcher, right? Like, they got something for the catcher. We got something for everything. We're chanting, we're yelling at people. And it was an amazing, memorable experience as a kid for me. I love those times. We are heading into a season for our church where it's time to put the rally caps on. Rally together. And say, we want to make an impact that lasts for eternity. And we get a unique season right now, these next six months, to do that very thing. So don't miss, if Mercy Road is your home church, over the next three weeks, we're going to be sharing with you all the details of what's coming, the exciting things that are happening, and what it's going to take to pull all of this off. In the meantime, if you're here this weekend and you're like, Mercy Road isn't my home church, I don't have a home church. Uh, We always encourage people, there are lots of great churches out there. If it's not Mercy Road, go find one, man. There are lots of great churches. We have a slightly unique vision of giving away 50% of the resources outside the walls of the church. We believe in intentional discipleship, living on mission through micro churches. We call it outposts. The church isn't just a worship service. It's a body of Christ empowered by Jesus to make an impact in our communities. And if that gets you excited, this first week is really about week one of this series is like Jesus calling the early disciples to join the team. And we might want to encourage you during this season, find a local church and join the team because we live in an era in Christian church history where we've made Christianity very complex and complacent. Complex in that you got to like do all this stuff to be a good Christian and complacent in that none of us ever do it. At least in American church culture. And actually, the discipleship in the New Testament is very simple. It's not complex. You just follow Jesus. The problem is, that's hard. It requires action. It's not complacent. 
And so as we dive into this, at the heart of what I'd love to share with you, in order to see God use you, and I believe there are sleeping giants of the faith in this room waiting to be awakened to the reality of Jesus and his power for your life and how he could transform you, to rid you of addictive habits, to heal your marriage, to help those in need, to proclaim the coming kingdom of God until Jesus returns, to live in the glory of his resurrection. Now one day we'll spend eternity in God forever in heaven, and the only thing that will, be matter, it will matter is what we have done with the time of God. It's going to require everything in your life, kind of like Thanos in Endgame. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, ready? I got like two chuckles there. I thought we had some Avenger fans in the room. Apparently, we're like DC world. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'm going to imagine some of you are familiar with this uh, passage a little bit. We're going to study these few verses together, and we're going to apply it directly to our culture and context today. And I'm going to tell you, this is kind of personal to me, because we're all here today, because I believe... 20 messed up, sinful people chose to allow Jesus to redeem them and use them when we first started this church in a house just a mile down the road. And I believe with the people sitting in this room that one church could become one movement with five teams as we send us out in four different directions. Over the course of the next six months, three of those locations are going to get up and running. And they will become separate churches sharing the Mercy Road name, vision, and values, the 50% outside the walls. But one day they will become their own legal entities. There will be live preaching. It will be in addition to all the other church planting through multiplying Indiana we're already doing. Because we believe the kingdom of God is at hand and we want people to know it, that he wants to use you to fish for people. Do you believe he could do that? He goes on and says, At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus calls these imperfect teenagers to transform the culture around them. In that culture, when you were around 12 or 13 years old, if you were one of the elite educationally, you might be called by a rabbi or a teacher to come and follow him. It was the way of their culture. The rabbis were actually the educated ones who could all read. And if you weren't one of the prestigious ones, the elite, you weren't chosen. And so you just have to go find some type of job to get by. And in this case, the common uh, job was fishing. And so these poor young men are being asked by this rabbi to come and follow. And they'll drop everything to do it. And see, as uh, we go over the next three weeks here and we talk about what comes with following Jesus, it's going to require something of you. And some of you, man, you're going to get a little uncomfortable, maybe even a little anxious or nervous. And maybe as I just described those five locations, you could already feel the tension of how that might impact your life occurring. I want to tell you that's normal, first of all. But what we're going to do over these next three weeks together is we're going to have a little DTR. Do you remember what that is? Like in your junior high or high school or whatever, you have, you have to have a moment where you define the relationship. 
The DTR, no, I'm alone on that, where like you're into her, but you don't know if she's into you, so you got to have the DTR to figure out if she is or not. Some of you are going to have a DTR in your relationship with Christ over the next three weeks together, and as you do that, you're going to have some uncomfortable conversations, and I believe it's going to be worth it. And the big question I want to ask you this morning is, what role is Jesus playing in your life right now? If you were to define your relationship with him, what role is he playing? Will you pray with me? God, we just pause and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us in the room right now. We pray, Jesus, we've come in here in a rainy, busy weekend and all these people have gathered. We pray you'd speak to our souls right where we're at. Transform us today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Amen. As we define that relationship, and we ask you to consider, you know, getting involved and join a team to rally together with us uh, during this season. It reminded me of the first time I went out and played baseball again. See, I hadn't played baseball since I was nine years old. And my buddies and I in high school, when we were juniors, we decided, man, we used to be really good baseball players when we were nine. We should go play again. And growing up in a small town, you could do something like that. So we went all out out for the baseball team, and we made the team because they just needed breathing bodies. And I got the first home game. I got to play on the varsity team, and I was real excited. They wouldn't let me bat yet because apparently the ball comes faster than when I was nine years old, and I couldn't hit it. But they put me in the pinch run. And I start, we were playing our crosstown rival, and I started off on first base, and they told me to steal second. And then they told me to steal third. And then I ended up on third base. And I'm standing there leading off, and he's like, go ahead, get farther off. And then there was a wild pitch. And any of you baseball fans out there know, when the wild pitch happens, it goes past the catcher. We had a deep backstop, the area behind home plate. And so the, the third base coach, the head coach, he says, go home, go home. And then here's about what, everything that happened next only took a few seconds, but to me felt like an eternity. It was kind of like, you know, picture this, I'm running home and chariots of fire music is going on in the background, right? He's like, I'm like, dun, 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 dun. I'm going fast, dude. I'm telling you, I'm going fast, but it doesn't feel like it. Dun, 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 dun. And the third base coach, he's feeling it too. He's going, dun, 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 dun. he's right. And I take it home. And as I get there, I get closer. I turn and the music's still going in my head. And I'm smiling now because I see the catcher has picked up the ball and he's throwing it to the pitcher. But the pitcher is slow, man. Dude's slow. And I'm going to beat him. The only thing is, was how was I going to score the run? Because as I see the catcher throwing the ball from about eight feet away, I realize I could slide and be safe. But that was the wimp's way out. I could, I could keep running, and as I crossed home plate, the ball would hit me in the arm, and I would definitely be safe and, be honest, look way cooler. So the only problem was, in my head, I am a much taller man. That's kind of how we are, guys. And rather than hitting me in the shoulder, it hit me directly in the mouth. Knocked all my teeth in, tooth popped out. I'm laying there. It was as I hit home base, it hit me, and I collapsed on home base. (laughs) When I woke up, and it did knock me out, 
I look around, I'm like, what just happened? And like, there's blood everywhere. And then my tooth is laying on the ground. Canines are huge, guys. They're like that big. And then the head coach comes in. He's like, let me see it. And I open my eye. I'm like, is it bad? He couldn't even look at it. He didn't say a word. He walked away. He told me later it's the grossest thing he'd ever seen. Huge cut, five teeth knocked back, one tooth laying on the ground. Then it gets worse. I was the tying run. The go-ahead run had been on second. He had stolen third. In the chaos that ensued, he just walked home and scored the go-ahead run. (laughs) Then, I'm not making this up, he picked up my tooth, passed it around the dugout. This was the day before Easter, the weekend before prom. Yeah, baby. It was my first and last date with that girl. And I had four hours of oral surgery, pulling my teeth back in, putting a tooth back. Oh, it was horrible, horrible, horrible. Caused a whole lot of pain to me. And here's what I realized. I began to second guess why in the world did I join the baseball team? Of the devil, my children will never play that evil sport. But I eventually got back into softball. But the truth was, I I carried around a lot of fear about that. And some of you, you have had the fear of getting on God's team because you have seen some people who claim to know Jesus who didn't live like it. And they've hurt you and the people around you. Some of you have even chosen to get on the team like I did, and you've joined the local church at some point, and you had a less than positive experience. And you've been carrying around that hurt and that pain and that baggage, fearful of ever committing to the team again. I'd say that's pretty typical. The problem is every single church has a whole bunch of sinners in it, and you will find brokenness everywhere you go. And so what I'm about to share with you to invite you into this season to join a team, I can't promise you you won't experience pain. And I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I can promise you, you can see God use your life in a way you'll never be able to by your own, on your own. And so if you want to join God's team, I'm going to move very quickly, just three simple points from these few verses. If you want to join God's team, this first one is for Pastor Luke. You, were, you need to know that you were meant for more than fishing. You were meant for more than fishing. It said in those first couple of verses that Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw you know, Simon Peter, and he sees Andrew, and they were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. This was their livelihood. This is what they did for a living. And he says, come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, guys, this is great. You, you got a way to sustain your life. You can survive. But I'm calling you into something that isn't just about surviving. You could actually fish for people. In other words, for us today, you could transform the lives of people around you. Do you believe that you, not like Eric, who's like super Christian, right? Not a staff member or a leader here in the church, you, that you could be used by God to transform someone's life. Because it's very clear in Scripture that you are called to that, that he could use you for that, that you were meant for more than just a nine-to-five with a nice pension and some fun weekends at the lake. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but you were meant for more than that. You weren't meant just to get by and to survive and have some fun in your free time. 
Now, let me say this as we head into this next part of this message. Some of you have been serving the Lord and you are tired and you need to hear the message of getting some rest. And God may call you to that. And you need to listen and to respond and be obedient to that. But I said this a couple of weeks ago. In all of our churches across the American church culture, we have many, many, many people who have been resting for decades. And it's time to start getting involved again and saying, God, use my life. That's why Jesus charged us with the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, therefore, you and I are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus wants to walk with you to use your life to make an impact and transform the lives of others, to be a fisher of people in that sense. Do you believe that he could use you to do that? Because I read that, the great commission that every disciple of Jesus is called to, and I just want to ask you, how are you doing with that? No guilt trips. Most people go through their entire lives, many, many years on this planet, and never see one person give their life to Christ, never disciple one person, never baptize one person. And I want to tell you that Jesus called those early disciples to do that very thing, and he could use you to do that. He brought some former addicts to lead us in worship. Got a former fraternity guy that God transformed my life. And it's been on a wild ride ever since. And if you would have told anybody I grew up with that I would have been a preacher someday, they would have thought you were insane. And I am not joking. <laughs> Literally, I, I got long stories I can't get into. And so I just encourage you, God can and wants to use you. You were meant for more than just fishing, more than just a vocation, more than just a nine-to-five. He wants to use your life to transform the course of human history in this state until he returns. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you want to join God's team, you need to remember that you'll need to leave your nets. Verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. Get this, they didn't just leave their livelihood. They dropped what they were doing right then. See, sometimes God's going to ask you to do some things. It's going to require you to drop some things in your life, not someday when you get to it, but right at that moment. And I, I encourage you, you know, when I thought about this, I thought about my wife, Lisa, and I didn't ask her permission to share this this morning, but I've shared it at all services, so why not do it again? <laughs> when we moved here from Southern California to start the church, my wife had spent seven years building a, a wedding floral design company. A business, it had grown, she, they had added some people to the team, she had just added wedding planning, and she was about to get um, printed, her floral designs were going to be in the most prestigious wedding magazine in Southern California. It was everything she had been working for. And then I got called to, we got called to come here and start a church, and move from Southern California to Indiana. And we took a whole lot of hardship, you know, the typical things of like, we took a pay cut, we moved across the country, and started a church in our house, which was uncomfortable, and in the middle of all that, we lost a, our second son, and I look back, and she just dropped everything that she had been working for for seven years, because as she prayed, she believed that God was calling us here. If he wasn't, we'd have stayed there and made that business a ministry, absolutely, but she knew that God was calling us. 
Sometimes when God speaks to you, you have to drop your nets of what you're doing right then. Would you drop what you're doing right now if the Lord was here and wanted to speak to you about something specific in your life? Because most American Christians would say yes, but the reality is I will drop it so long as it's not something that I really like. Right? Like I don't want to get too personal, but it's like if you're taking my time or my talents or my treasures and I don't really want to do that, I might make some excuses for a little while so that I don't have to do that just yet. And they could have done that. They'd been like, well, well wait a second. How are we going to make money? This is how we, we survive. You want us to leave right now? Like, give me a year or two. I'll save up, and then I'll do it. And he's like, no, this is your opportunity. And it was so prestigious to get to serve the Lord, they just did it. These young men, and they will transform the course of human history. And as we head into the season for our church, I, I can't find, I literally, guys, cannot find a church in the country that's crazy enough to do what we're about to do. Because <laughs> usually there's, they're either much bigger with a lot of resources or much smaller and doing a much smaller thing. But to take the risk to turn one church into five churches and, and then not hold on to them, but to release them as church plants, I can't find it. And that's not a critique of anybody. It's just I can't find that. And so I'd encourage you, it's going to require a lot for us to see this accomplished. And you may have come in here and not even be a Christian yet or just beginning to walk out your faith in Jesus and he may have connected you for such a time as this and he's gonna use you as a sleeping giant of a faith that's awakened to the reality of Jesus and he's gonna send you out of here to transform the lives of others and make you a fisher for people. But you're gonna have to drop some nets in order to see that happen in your life. And I wanna give the example of this. I thought of Mike Kleinbub who passed away a while ago in our church family, amazing guy. His uh, son, Chris, was one of the early, and, and uh, his wife, Stephanie, were one of the early ones here in our church. He battled cancer for a number of years and lived in Elwood, Indiana. He used to be the high school football coach up there. And he was spending his retirement taking young people in his RV around the state to tell others about Jesus and to help uh, attack the opiate crisis here in our state. He would drive down 45 minutes from Elwood, Indiana, because, and it's not a critique of a church, but the church he was a part of hadn't reached a new person for Christ in many, many years. And everybody was dying, physically dying. And so him and his wife, Kitty, would drive all the way down here 45 minutes to be a part of this because they believed that God could use their lives. And as he passed away, Kitty now still started serving on our computer graphic team, and many weekends she's back there serving. It's that kind of devotion and commitment in these little ways that God can use to transform you. But you have to drop some nets to do it. Uh, here in a moment, the ushers are going to come around, and we're doing this for the next three weeks. So no pressure on this in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, we have a volunteer culture here in our church where we don't guilt people into stuff. If you'd want to serve once or twice a month, awesome. Get involved. You'll meet a whole lot of people that way. But during this next season for our church, we need to train a lot of people up on the way that we do things on the weekend so that we can implement it in other locations. And so as the ushers come by, the clipboard just gives you an opportunity to find out more information about one of those weekend volunteer teams. No pressure on that, but we've had a lot of people begin to fill that out, and we want to get more people plugged in like Mike and Kitty. Because as we're becoming uh, five teams, one movement, as the graphic says, it's going to require a lot of us. And I wanted to just point out that, you know, Michigan Road now is getting really close. 
And the renovation is in full swing, baby. And some of you, you need to get over and volunteer at that building and get involved and get plugged in. And we're going to do some dramatic things over the next couple of months to get hundreds of, it's going to take hundreds of people over there volunteering in that facility. And we can't wait to see. It's a fun time, too, to be a part of that. And then that thing's going to launch, and we need many of you to go there and be a part of helping it get off the ground and reach new people for Christ, not just people who are already here. That's the whole point of it. And then Mass Avenue, the location pastor is moving here from Texas, and his first day is next, a week from this Monday. He's going to be here next Sunday, actually. And so him and his wife and kids are moving here, and when they get here, man, they're going to be running fast. We're going to start uh, meetings down there on Mass Avenue, in the Athenaeum on Mass Avenue, uh, beginning in August. That's when the lease starts, and then later on in the fall or early next year, we'll have soft launches and grand openings and all that kind of stuff, but we need you to be praying and get involved with that. Fishers, people. Now, here's the thing about Fishers. The summer, we have all the once a month, the first Sunday of every weekend, we have worship on the water at 9.30 a.m. out at uh, Wolfie's on Geist. Pastor Darren and Julie Earlywine, Julie's helping run that team this, this summer, and so you can email us, info at mercyroad.cc if you want to get involved on that team. But we also know that we are still searching for that long-term location pastor, and we have had a lot of applicants, and now we probably have a couple people coming from out of state to come and interview for it, and it's beginning to take some new ground, and I, I, I'm excited because it's taken longer than I thought it was going to take. But it may be for God's purposes that it's taken that long because we're going to be able to launch it much better and much smarter. So you Fishers, Geist, Lawrence, Noblesville, McCordsville, Fortville people know that it's coming, Pendleton, it's coming. And so be praying because we're going to need you, need you, need you to get involved as we launch that location. But then for those of you here at Keystone, if you're like, you're always talking about these other cool places and nothing's going to cool happen here. That's not true. We're going to continue to grow, reach new people for Christ at this location. In fact, Pastor Darren and I were talking. Yeah, you clap for that. Pastor Darren and I were talking. Uh, we want to keep things the next six months as normal as possible. He's still, even if Fishers gets up and running in the next six months, he's still going to come over here and preach some. I'll, even though I'll be preaching at all locations as well, I'll be coming here still to preach. And so we're going to make it as normal as possible for these next six months. But I want you to know things will change. And that's a good thing. In fact, if you get overwhelmed when you hear all of this stuff, I want to encourage you, we're going to rally you and make you even more uncomfortable the two weeks after this. But come July, we're going to do a series called Love Hurts. And we're going to be honest, as we love more people and reach more people for Christ, there is hurt and and a cost, a price that comes with it. And so in July, we're actually going to have a bereavement service for our church where we, we are going to celebrate all that God has done over the last eight plus years and all the people God has reached for Christ. And we're going to celebrate all the community and the friendships and the bonds that were formed here. Formed here. And we're going to mourn, it's okay to do this, we're going to mourn that things are going to change. And we're going to remember it and we're going to acknowledge it. And we're going to know that come this fall, our church will never be the same again. And that's going to be hard but it's worth it. It's worth it. Because there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Jesus. And sometimes it makes it harder in our lives. Simple, but harder. 
And we're going to need you to get involved and say, I want to be a part of this. And then here's my favorite part of this whole message. In verses 21 to 22, it says, going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. This is what was different about the first brothers. They're with their dad, Zeb, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Here's the thing. You don't just have to drop your nets to follow him. I love this part. This is, you're going to love this. This is powerful. You will have to leave everything. Huh? Was that, not, was that pretty good? You will have to leave everything. I told my wife that she's like, did you steal that from somewhere? I was like, no, I came up with that all on my own. Some of you are like, it's obvious. <laughs> But you're going to have to leave everything behind you. Your dad, like they had to leave their dad, their whole family, everything they had known, the town they had grown up in, their livelihood, yes, but everything was transformed and they would never be the same again. Because the rabbi had called them and asked them to come and follow and they were like, this is the most prestigious, meaningful thing I could ever do with my life. That's the requirement of following Jesus. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. There's a cost to following Jesus. That's why in Luke chapter 9, skip down to verses 61 and 62 for me. The first two, it says that you're going to have to meet physical needs and then you're going to have to proclaim the kingdom of God, the twofold mission that every believer is called to. But verse 61 says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Many of us here would say, I would love to be used by God, but first let me. First let me do this, get this in order, find this, have this, require, acquire this. First, let me say goodbye to my family. That seems like a pretty good, noble thing to do. But Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There is such an urgency. Just, look, I get it. You love, you love your dad. But now is the time. I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Come and follow me. It comes at a cost. And sometimes it's a hard cost. It's like Lot's wife, when she looked back, she was looking back because there was stuff from her life that she didn't want to leave behind. And some of us are going to have to drop our nets to leave everything to serve God. God may not call you to be a part of one of these five locations, but as you pray these next three weeks, he may call you to go into an unreached people group all over the world to a specific country or place or location. He may call you to join one of these teams and be a part of it and go sacrifice all that you can. And it may be for 10 or 20 or 50 years, or he may use you for six months to go make an impact. And this location will always be available. What do you have to lose to go try it? This will always be here. You can always come back. It's one movement. It's the same vision and values but to go, I'm going to be used, I'm going to go try, I'm not going to look back and make the excuses that I typically make. Here's how the, it works in our culture today. I feel like in American church culture, I will serve you, God, but I'd rather not give up all my weekends. D don't make me serve on Sunday. I will serve you when I pray for five minutes uh, on my way to work in the morning. <laughs> I will serve you, God, so long as you don't ask me to sacrifice my time or my talents or my treasures I'm all there for you, Lord, as long as you don't have those things. I will serve you, God, so long as you uh, supply me with a spouse first. 
And by the way, before you supply me with that spouse, I will dictate my sexual habits before them. I don't need to live with sexual purity because I'm in control. I don't need you in that area. I want to be used by God. Use me, but just don't come into this part. That's my part. You don't touch them. That's my part. We got these excuses of the reason I would serve you, but I know I'd have to give up my, this dating life I've been living. I would serve you, God. I would be a generous person. Let's be real for a second. I would be a generous person. I want to be used by God to help impact the course of human history here in the state of Indiana. I want to live with generosity. As soon as you make me rich, God, make me rich and I'll totally do it. It doesn't work like that. Generosity is a thing that you apply no matter what season in your life. I'll never forget. I didn't share this at the other services. I went to Africa and uh, Zambia, um, I don't know, over a decade ago, and I was preaching at this conference there, and there, it was packed out room. It was so hot in there. They no, no air conditioning, and, you know, they've been there for hours, and I'm supposed to go up and preach, and I, they were like, I was like, what do you want me to preach on? They said, we want you to preach on generosity. I looked around at all these people in here who didn't have a hundredth of what a single person in this room has. And I said, I'm not doing it. (laughs) I won't do that. They said, this community needs to learn that as well. It's in the Bible. And so I went up there and preached on it. And we saw about a hundred people give their life to Christ in that service. And it just struck me how this need to like first let me, don't ask too much of me, protect this area of my life. Like every culture, every society has the temptation to do that. You may be a Christian, you may have eternal salvation, but have you fully surrendered and submitted to make Jesus Lord of your life? You don't need to earn your salvation. He paid the price on the cross once and for all so that you could be forgiven. You don't have to do anything to earn that. You just have to receive his free mercy and grace and forgiveness. But know that he paid that price at a cost. And there is a cost to discipleship. If you don't believe me, look what it says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. As we close out our time, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. And he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple. What? I was telling Lisa this last night. She's like, you can't read that verse out loud. I was like, it's in the Bible. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't telling the disciples you need to hate your spouse. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, I was really lagging that. I thought I'd leave Debris thing behind, and she's been bothering me, so get out of here. No. It's not, it's not what it's saying. It's saying that the mission of Jesus is the most important primary thing in your life. It's why when we baptize people, we ask them, is it your desire to make him the primary identity of your life? Because it's only then that you will get to see God use your life. You don't need to do it to earn salvation, but you do it because you could actually be used by God to transform lives around us, to be fishers for people today in 21st century American culture. And we are seeing new Christians made every week and be baptized because they're getting the love of Jesus and surrendering to it, but it comes at a cost. It's why he says, and whoever, verse 27, does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Some of you haven't estimated the cost of following Jesus. 
You just thought, I'm going to heaven, sweet, amen, can't wait for that, and I'll do whatever I want for the next 70 years of my life. Doesn't work like that. It's a submission to him. It's saying, God, use me. Even when I don't understand your ways, my ways are not your ways. Your ways are not my ways. I want to learn your ways. Verse 29, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. As we close out of time, I was reminded of a friend of mine who in high school uh, prayed to receive Christ because he, in a moment of emotion, he was convicted by something the pastor was sharing. And he went and prayed the prayer to give his life to Christ. And immediately afterwards, he was talking to all of us. And he goes, well, I mean, I prayed the prayer, but I'm going to keep cussing. <laughs> and I was like, of all the things to hold on to, to look back for, the, that was the thing. But we began to realize it wasn't about whether it was cussing or not, uh, whether that was right or wrong, but it was about that he had a number of things in his life that he prayed that prayer, but he was like, but I'm still going to do whatever I want. And it was probably a few weeks later that he stopped considering himself a Christian, and he's still an atheist today. Yeah, I love him to death. He's a good friend of mine. But when it comes to submitting your life to Jesus, there is a cost to discipleship. You're going to have to drop your nets. You're going to have to leave everything behind and serve him in the ways that he's calling you to. What do you need to leave behind right now in your life? Because some of you, you've been called yourself a Christian and you have eternal salvation and you know him and you live every day of your life going, I love you, God. I need you. But don't come into my life and make me do things because I don't want to do them. And whenever we're in need, we're like this. And whenever we're called to go live for him, we're like this. And he is calling you and saying, guys, you can be used. It's really simple. You just have to follow what I've asked you to do. That's it. But the problem is it's hard and it comes at a cost. And if we're really honest in our American church culture, the simple fact is we just don't want to do it. Because I'd rather sit inside and watch Netflix than go talk to my neighbor and start a relationship. I would rather do whatever I want on my weekends than go serve the Lord. I would rather do whatever I want with my time, my talents, and my treasures. And God is asking something of me, but I don't really want to do it. I get it. I'm not pointing fingers at you at all, but I'm being honest. If you want to see God use your life to transform people's lives around us, you can't go into it with the consumeristic Christian mindset that's so prevalent in our culture today. It's going to require everything of your life and a complete surrender because you and I have no power and authority to impact anyone or do anything in anyone's life. The only way that happens is if God shines through, and that only happens if we are fully submitted to him. And he uses us as his vessel 
to transform lives and culture around us. And if we hide behind the hurts and pains of our past and every time somebody has a bickering argument in a local church, we go, I can't be a part of this whole thing. Well, then guess what? You're never going to get along with anybody this side of heaven because there's going to be sin in this world. So start going, stop making excuses and start saying, God, use my life to transform the people around me. I love them right where they're at, the 20-somethings in the room, the college students. I want to tell you, you can literally transform a generation with just a simple act of submitting to the Lord on a daily basis to spend time in prayer and to hear from him and then do what he's asking you in your life. It's that simple. It's just hard. It's why your friends don't do it and they just go party their lives away because they don't know what else to do because they just try to have fun this side of heaven because they don't have anything else with meaning and purpose and we do. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Utilize the time that you have been given. It's running out. If we rally together during this time, we could literally see these churches successfully reach new people for Christ that will transform the course of human history, the family culture in our state, in our, in our counties. It could literally change. It could literally change. The homeless community in the downtown area could be transformed. Just enough people got excited and moved down there and started ministering to people right where they're at. The people in our, our schools, the kids that are being taught all kinds of other things, we could transform it not with judgmentalism, but actually just loving kids well because they would love a mentor and they can't find one. I didn't do that at the other services. I don't know what God's doing in this service, but I just want to encourage you that maybe somebody's in here and you have been doing this for so long and you just let them, need to let them use you and you need to submit everything and stop hiding areas of your life. Will you pray with me? God, we just... Uh, God, I, I don't want to walk away here without... If there is one person in this space right now that you have been speaking to, not me, but you, God, and they know it, and they know they need to drop their nets and begin to give everything over to you and leave behind that thing they want to reach back for, that crutch in their life. That today could be a, a life-changing moment, that they could surrender that to you and they could surrender their lives fully to your lordship. If that's you here in the room, I'm not going to make it easy on you. In a moment here, I'm going to just count to three and I want you to raise your hand I'm not going to make you come up on stage, but I want you to acknowledge it. And then we're going to pray for each other. Because following Jesus comes at a cost. And if you can't acknowledge it, you're probably never really going to surrender your life to him anyway. So on the count of three, if you'd like to fully surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so or to just raise your hand high. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he's not done with you. Three, he wants to use you to transform the culture around us. I see the, the two people, the three over here. The Oh, my gosh. I see all the people to the right over here. Help me out, guys, the, the people over here to my left. I'm not going to make you do anything here. Thank you. Just I see you in the back now that just raised your hand, too. Thank you for that. You can, if I missed anybody, I apologize. Put your, put your hands down now. And then just pray this with me. God, you, you see the people that just raised their hands, so many of them in this space, and, and that wasn't a planned thing. We didn't do that in any other service, God. And so I just know that you maybe are doing something right now. We pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to them right where they're at. The thing that they've been holding on to that's keeping you from them, may they just surrender it to you right now. If you know you need to get something out of your life, would you not out loud, but just confess that to him right now? God, we give our lives to you. We ask for your forgiveness. 
And then pray this, not out loud, but just pray it with me. God, right now, on this day, I surrender my life to you fully. Use me, Jesus. I am fully yours. God, thank you for your crucifixion and your resurrection. And I commit my life to you fully today. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen.